From Knowledge Success and FHI 360, this is Season 6 of Inside the FP Story, a podcast developed with the family planning workforce for the family planning workforce. Each season, we hear directly from implementers, decision makers, and others from around the world on issues that matter to our programs and services. Through these honest conversations, we learn how we can improve our family planning programs as we work together to build a better future for all. I'm Sarah Harlan, Partnerships Team Lead with the Knowledge Success Project. I'm pleased to introduce our narrator, Charlene Manguini Firusa. Welcome to Season 6 of Inside the FP Story. This season, we are exploring the larger context of sexual and reproductive health, or SRH, beyond family planning. Being able to understand the holistic framework and the range of concerns that affect people's sexual and reproductive lives can help ensure access to higher quality information and services for all who need them. Topics like comprehensive sexuality education, menstrual health, and HIV prevention have been mentioned in previous seasons of the podcast, but we have not covered them extensively until now. This season will also provide an opportunity to reflect on the needs of communities that have not been effectively reached by SRH services, including historically marginalized groups like youth and LGBTQI plus individuals. Our episodes this season will discuss tools, resources and models to help us implement inclusive programs that take all these issues into account. First, so we are all on the same page, let's begin with what we mean by sexual and reproductive health. The World Health Organization defines sexual health as a state of physical, emotional, mental and social well-being in relation to sexuality. It is not merely the absence of disease, dysfunction or infirmity. Sexual health requires a positive and respectful approach to sexuality and sexual relationships, as well as the possibility of having pleasurable and safe sexual experiences, free of coercion, discrimination, and violence. For sexual health to be attained and maintained, the sexual rights of all persons must be respected, protected, and fulfilled. Their definition of reproductive health is nearly identical, but adds that people have the capability to reproduce and the freedom to decide if, when, and how often to do so. While these definitions include pleasurable and respectful sexual experiences, SRH is often highly stigmatized or politicized in the media and in many communities around the world. In this episode and throughout this season, we would like to challenge that. We are going to take a fresh look at SRH, How do bodily autonomy and gender fit into this? What about pleasure? How do we ensure that sexual and reproductive health programs consider the needs of young people and of LGBTQI plus individuals? For this episode, we are featuring several guests who are passionate about their work in SRH. We started each interview by asking, why should we care about sexual and reproductive health? First, We will hear from Esther Sumbana-Murray, a gender and youth advisor with FHI360. She works on the USAID-funded Alcancer Project, which focuses on reproductive, maternal, newborn and child health in the Nampula and Zambezia provinces of Mozambique. 
People should care because this human rights and we are human beings. So everything that is related to our human rights is something that everyone should care about. It's our right to have autonomy of our body. It's our right to have access to information about our body, not only mentally, but also physically. To have rights to freely decide who, for instance, to have sex with, how to avoid the sexual transmitted disease or infections, how to avoid the unintended pregnancy, how many kids we can have, the partner that we can have. We all have rights to be able to live without any fear and live without any pressure. Amanda Joanne Gillian Mary Banura is the founder and executive director of the Uganda Youth Alliance for Family Planning and Adolescent Health. Like Esther, Amanda also shared a perspective related to human rights. It is a human right to have access to full sexual and reproductive health, to have choice and to have access and to be able to make their own decisions regarding their SRH why I care about SRH, because it is my right and it is my body, so it is my choice. I have to care. Innocent Grant is the program director of the Young and Alive Initiative, a youth-led organization based in Tanzania. So first, I want to say human beings are sexual beings for the whole period of our lives. When we don't talk about sexual health, when we don't care about our own sexual health, we are ignoring the fact that we are sexual beings. And finally, we have Francisco Riloba, an OBGYN based in Mexico City. He also works with the International Federation of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I believe it's something that's extremely important, family planning and um, empowering women to uh, space their births, to plan how many births they want to have, how many children. Well, that's something that it's so crucial for uh, every society because... uh, There's nothing that's as awful as forced maternity. And there's nothing that's as beautiful as a wanted pregnancy. So far in this episode, our guests have shared their thoughts on human rights, people as sexual beings, and the importance of bodily autonomy, which is the right to make decisions about your own body, life, and future without coercion or violence. Related to this, The UNFPA's most recent State of the World Population report found that globally 44% of women with partners cannot make choices about their reproductive health, contraception, or whether to have sex. 44% is a staggering number. How could this be? Certainly, there is not just one answer. But each of our guests did point to ways that gender and social norms limit people's ability to achieve reproductive health. Note that in previous seasons of this podcast, we have also discussed social norms, and as we mentioned in those episodes, specific norms vary widely by context. Our guests this episode shared examples of how social norms in their settings can negatively impact SRH. For example, Esther described how in Mozambique, a country with one of the highest rates of child marriage, where one in two girls get married before they are 18, Young people have little freedom over their sexual lives. I was asking the boys, what is model for you? 
in terms of being young boy. He said the model is the one that has many sexual partners, doesn't use condom. Socially, among his peers, to be considered a model is to have this kind of risk behavior. If he doesn't fit in that box, he's called weak. So even if he doesn't want to, he will end up doing just not to be called names. And girls, on another hand, it's like they are not really encouraged to speak up about themselves. A girl who is 15 years old without starting her sexual life and without having kids is not considered a model. In the case that she has a boyfriend, for instance, she fears to tell him, I want to use condom or any kind of contraception because this boy will think that she has another partner's to prove that she's loyal to him, that she's faithful to him, she ends up accepting without protection because she has to fit into social pressure. It's not easy to challenge social norms because it's not only her, it's also the network, it's the environment she grows up within. For a girl, like 13, 14 years old, to challenge her mother, her father or family or neighbors is very difficult. So we need to work with everyone that is around this girl. So we need to work with her, telling her that it, there is no problem in delaying as much as possible to start her sexual life as long as she feels confident first with access of information so that she can have assertive decisions. She can have this network support at school, at home, in the church, everywhere she is. We also need to work with boys. These boys also face risk. We have just heard how social norms can negatively impact young people's SRH and bodily autonomy. And rather than putting the onus on the individual adolescent, we must engage all the key influences around the adolescent to support them. Another social norm that impacts SRH is the fact that in most countries around the world, it is not common to talk openly with young people about sex. Here is Innocent. In Tanzania, when you're talking to young people, it's very limited to have an open dialogue regarding their sexual health. In general, sex discussion are quite a taboo topic. So they ended up getting pregnancy while in schools. So they have a burden of no qualification to gain good job. At the same time, they have a child support. Shifting now to men using contraception. Francisco shared how gender norms prevent men from using vasectomy one of the only two available contraceptive methods for men. Vasectomy is such an underrated method. There's so much uh, taboo and stigma and myths around vasectomy. I don't know if it's a, a patriarchal culture or misogyny, but they believe that it's going to affect their manhood. Whereas women are all up for, yeah, let's take care of our sexual and reproductive health by using this or using that. Men just aren't there yet. And it's our responsibility as clinicians to include them more and more and to just make them a part of our team. Because if we don't include 50% of the population in these decisions, well, we're missing out on a lot of participation that could bring very good outcomes. Vasectomy rates are low in many settings, but research has shown that men may be interested and willing to use other contraceptive methods if available, and that women would trust their partners to use these methods. Though male contraception is a historically underfunded area, there are a number of male methods currently being researched. So what can we do to address these deep challenges? We asked our guests what an ideal SRH program would look like to each of them. Here is Francisco. 
my program would have to have comprehensive sexual education, age-appropriate evidence-based education on topics like consent, what's the healthy relationship, contraception, family planning methods, sexually transmitted infections, uh, gender and sexuality. But it will also have to have uh, accessible and affordable contraceptive services, uh, wide range, if not all of the options and people who give contraceptive advice, you would have to have a very good team that prevents and treats sexually transmitted infections with effective strategies, testing, uh, along with education on safer sexual practices. It will be a system that's completely inclusive and will really drive equity home. It would have, especially for LGBTQ patients, services that respect their diverse uh, gender identities, orientations, and their own cultural backgrounds. Uh, and finally, I think that it would have to engage the whole community, promoting dialogue involving not only individuals, but the whole community in the decision-making processes to address all of these uh, sexual and reproductive challenges effectively. And here is Amanda. I would say the ideal SRH program, to me, it would look like a holistic approach where every young person or every person has access to subsidized medical care. By medical care, I mean reproductive health commodities. This will cover like family planning, contraception, and all to do with SRH. We just heard about the importance of offering a wide range of SRH information and supplies, but it is also important to consider SRH education. Specifically, what information is shared and how it is shared can impact people's sexual behaviours. A recent systematic review was conducted by the WHO and the Pleasure Project, which included 33 interventions from around the world. It found that SRH programs that discuss sexual desire and pleasure improve knowledge and attitudes around sex and increase condom use compared to those that do not. The Young and Alive initiative has worked on integrating these principles into an SRH curriculum for youth in Tanzania, which was translated into Swahili. Innocent discussed shifting from a fear-based style of sexuality education where, for example, photographs of advanced STIs are shown to scare young people to a more open and positive style. Innocent explained that acknowledging that people have sexual desires can actually help them protect themselves from pregnancy and STIs. Fear-based sex education hasn't provided us with the result that we want to see. For instance, we still have high rates of teenage pregnancy. HIV AIDS, especially to young sexually active people. And we still have a high rate of sexual transmitted infections as well. It opens the opportunity to start talking about our sexual differences and preferences. So it's better telling them the truth. Finally, Esther shared how we need to work across sectors to improve SRH, especially for youth. We need to work together. It's not only health sector, it's education sector that needs to create good environment for kids to be able to access to quality education. It's the labor area that needs to be able to make job opportunities that also need to be able to provide the information to provide service for these young people. I know we have very good policies in place, very good, but making sure that it happens in the field has been our main challenge and we have been working hard on that. 
We hope the insights in this episode have motivated you to advocate for holistic, multi-sectoral approaches to improving SRH. Ensuring access to SRH information and services underpins the Sustainable Development Goals, particularly those related to universal health care, gender equality, poverty reduction, and environmental sustainability. Also, you may have noticed a strong emphasis on youth in this episode. With 1.8 billion people aged 10 to 24 in the world today, youth are the present and the future. Join us for our next episode in which we will take a deeper dive into SRH topics related to adolescence and youth. Season 6 of Inside the FP Story is produced by Knowledge Success and FHI 360. This episode was written by Katherine Packer and edited and mixed by Elizabeth Tully. It was supported by an additional team, including Sarah Harlan, Emily Hoppus, Brittany Getch, and Joy Cunningham. Special thanks to our guests, Amanda Joanne Jillian Mary Banura, Esther Sumbana Murray, Francisco Riloba, and Innocent Grant. To download episodes, please subscribe to Inside the FP Story on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and visit knowledgesuccess.org for additional links and materials. The opinions in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of USAID or the United States government. If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, feel free to reach out to us at info at knowledgesuccess.org. Thank you for listening.